0: The sun has left and forgotten me It's dark, I cannot Listeners, see. you are in for a treat today Remember, your stories don't define you, I'm but how you draw, tell them will And I'm your host, Sarah Elkins I call myself the chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting Because my feeling is, if I'm not taking risks and stepping out of my comfort zone I'm not making any good stories to share Before we get started, just a quick reminder for our listeners who are interviewing for jobs, our course, Get Hired Job Interview Storytelling is available for just $199, and that includes a storytelling practice session. So visit ElkinsConsulting.com for more information. Today's guest is Crystal Whitaker, a recently published author of a book you are going to want to read for sure. And we met at the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth, Texas in late January of 23. And I was introduced to Crystal via Wendy Ryan, who is also an absolute power star in the world of leadership storytelling. Crystal, I am so eager to get started in this conversation with you, and I can't wait to get my hands on your book. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Hello. It's a treat to be here. Thank you. I, I have know. the biggest grin on my face.
1: <laughs> Babe! <laughs> I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because I know we haven't mapped out what we're going to talk about, but the just the connection and the conversations we've had leading up to this, I know it's going to be juicy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, juicy is the right word for it. And for our listeners, the the reason we're talking like this is because we actually met in person at that conference and just connected instantly. And I I just knew immediately that Crystal is one of those people that is going to make a huge difference in the incremental improvements we need to make in inclusion in the workplace. And I just knew as soon as we started talking about it, based on her passion for the topic and her ability to translate conversations, you're like a translator to make sure that the communication is clear among people.
1: Thank you. I I received that. Thank you so much. <laughs> definitely definitely passionate about it. And I think I think the translator thing probably comes from just my own lived experience being a person who has so much intersectionality. I'm biracial, mixed with black and white, so having that experience, being a queer woman of color in the world. And then of course, having been in the corporate world and then starting my own business and working with other business business owners and leaders from organizations, I feel like I have a lot of unique experiences that I've been able to bring together to do what I do.
0: Absolutely. It shows. And let's, let's turn the clock back a little because this is a perfect introduction to the question I usually ask. So at the beginning of every conversation, almost every conversation, I ask my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know about them. Something that's not on their LinkedIn bio or their resume or on the back cover of their book that's coming soon. I'm so excited. I just have to plug that like as many times as I can because it's going to be so good. But I know I like to give you a little moment to think about it. And the reason it was so perfect for the way that you just described yourself is that those are the things that I know about you. And now we get to go backward a little and hear a little something that might surprise people.
1: Hmm. You know, I think something that tends to surprise people is that I'm a huge introvert and I actually, I get really nervous when it comes to public speaking, even though I do quite a bit of public speaking. I teach a a lot of classes, even sometimes in podcast recordings, like my armpits sweat. And it's something that really surprises people because they're like, oh, but you're so, you're just so on and charismatic or or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm reeling inside. (laughs) I I got the, I'm telling on myself, I got the highest possible passing D in my college speech class.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I bet your teacher would be really surprised to see you now. Oh, probably. I love that. And it does surprise me a little because you were so warm and welcoming at this conference and there were a lot of people there. But now that I think about it, I didn't see you in the evenings, So that probably means you walked away and introverted for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I go and recharge. I can, I'm really good at learning how to be on. It's something that I've had to develop over the course of my career. But when things are done, I completely shut down.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hear that. And it's so funny. People just assume I'm an outrageously extroverted person because I sing with a couple of bands and I do the public speaking. But really i Find myself to be right in the middle somewhere because there are days where I get so much energy from those interactions. And then other days where I just have to go walk on the mountain behind my house by myself, find the quietest spot on the south side of the mountain where I don't even hear traffic. Like, and, and that's the only way that I can function and come back to that interaction, that, that extroverted energy that people experience with me. I'm assuming that happens with you too
1: mm yeah, absolutely. You're reminding me of a question that a really good well, she's the friendship started she was more of a mentor and then evolved into a very, very good friend of mine. She asked me a couple of years ago what do you what do you need to be creative and what you're describing that taking that space and giving giving yourself that peace that's those are a couple of things that I realized that I need because taking space. It's like, I have to get really
0: quiet with myself in order to tune back in. Well, I love that because it leads us right into the discussion that we were kind of playing around with before I hit record for this episode. And it was about being self-reflective and knowing knowing yourself well enough to know why you are reacting the way you're reacting to things. And this came up for me, well, it came up with Wendy first, because I her episode was just released the last week of February, I think, the first week of March. And we talked about how we deal with the skeptics. Like when we walk into a room, if I'm a strengths finder coach for a team and there's always somebody, one or two people in a team that will come in and lean back in their seat, cross their arms in front of their chest and cross their legs. And you, we know what that message is. They're, they're not being subtle at all. Maybe they think they are, but I don't think so. They probably know. And we talked about how we deal with that. But what, what I'd like for you to kind of think about is how you've been able to translate for somebody so that they could become more aware of how they were being perceived. Do you mm-hmm. have like a client in mind that you can talk about without using names? You know, it's interesting.
1: I, I feel like my, there are a couple of clients that come to mind that have very similar experiences through the work that we do, because my framework is is done in a way that people, I I keep consistently kind of hearing similar things from clients. Of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the couple of clients that I'm thinking of, it, it was the realization that they weren't previously as clear on what they valued for themselves. Because a lot of my work is really centered around getting people rooted in their core values bef- before we get into any of the occlusion stuff. And the 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 common thread is wow, getting really clear and connected and understanding what my values are made such a difference. I didn't realize that things that I was doing prior to, to us working together were having a negative impact on either their mood. Or some of their interactions because they were doing things that were out of alignment with their values, but they weren't even fully aware of it. And the way that we were able to work together and get them really clear and make sure that they had this this set of pillars, right, that they could refer back to made them so much more self-aware when they found themselves being activated or frustrated in interactions they were, they were there was one client in particular that I can remember getting on a call with and them telling me you know I had this experience and I was getting really frustrated and I was able to pause and like think oh I'm feeling frustrated because this value isn't being honored and gave just having that awareness I think is the the answer to the question that you're looking for <laughs>
0: Yes, well, and then the next question is, are they not honoring it, or are they not honoring it in a way that I can see? Mm. That, say more about that. Well, I've been married for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> in all the best ways, we're going to celebrate our 26th anniversary at the end of May. And thank you. Yeah, and and I still like him. Like, it, love is easy; like is a lot harder. And That's also incredible. <laughs> it really is. We're just we're just about to plan a big trip to Italy, and like, we're both so excited just to be able to spend this time together. Which is, yeah, you know, after this many years. Anyway, my point is, I had him take Finder when I was getting certified years back, and I kind of went through the the results with him but I was still really new to it. So I didn't have all the nuance, all the complicated aspects of the interactions of somebody's natural talents. It wasn't until recently, maybe six months ago, and this is a lot of years of marriage for me to have an aha moment, 26, 27 years into our relationship, right? But we both have what's called command in our top talents. And the, the key to command is not that somebody with command really wants to be in charge, But we are compelled to make sense out of chaos. And that comes as a perception of a lack of leadership or perception of chaos in the room. That doesn't necessarily mean there is actual chaos in the room. Mm. So, for instance, my husband walked into the kitchen while I was cooking one night. And he, we both have restaurant experience. So, we both love to cook. We're both good at it. He walked in and he started adding something to one of my pots. And then I saw him change the heat on, on under another one. And I was, I don't know why I was tender that day. You know, usually that wouldn't bother me so much. But for some reason, I just lost it. I was like, fine, if you want to cook, I'll go do something else. And he said, wait, I was just, I said, yeah, you were just changing my recipe. You were just putting stuff in a pot without asking, just adding things to my pot. And if you want to cook, that's fine. I have lots of other stuff I can spend my time on. And i was like leaving the kitchen and I was really angry. And I had to take the step back to think, why am I so angry? But I didn't in that moment. And we don't with our loved ones. We don't think about it in the same way with the people that we're closest with. And we, we stayed in a pretty big conflict for a while. And that's unusual. But man, I was really angry. And the way he responded wasn't the way that I needed him to respond. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I walked into the kitchen a couple days later and went to turn down the heat under a frying pan that he had going for eggs. And I yanked my hand back. He didn't see me do it, but I yanked my hand back and did not touch it and said, do you want me to turn that down for you? It looks like it's going to burn. He said, no, I've got it. So I was like, okay. And I walked out of the kitchen and yes, it burned. (laughs) That's, That's beside the point. What I realized The next time he came into the kitchen while I was cooking dinner, because we always feed our band before we do a rehearsal, I was cooking dinner for five people, six people, and he came into the kitchen and I could see that perception. I knew it was coming. And I said, so this is what I'm making. This is where I'm going with it. If you want to help, would you mind washing the lettuce to make a salad? I don't like washing lettuce. And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. I had to make sure he understood that his perception might be off Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. what I needed or what was going on in that room. So, so many times, I think we have that, we think we're being, but without asking, how do we know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So going back to your question, thank you for sharing that, by the way. (laughs) It's a long story for a short question, but I, I feel like p- people in partnerships can understand that, where you're cohabitating with people. <laughs> yes. So going going back to your question around that, one of the things that, kind of th- that I work with clients on that coincide w- with that is helping them with that awareness is they're also learning how to communicate what their core values are in their messaging so that it is clear And through that communication, people who are engaging with them can have that awareness as well. And they're also the people who are creating that messaging centered around their core values. They're constantly reminding themselves. So it creates more synergy and harmony from the beginning.
0: Mm, That's brilliant. What is one of the exercises that you do to help people see their values? To really understand? Because I think that's hard for some people because it's not something that they're constantly thinking about most most people I mean you and I do that a lot cuz it's our work but yeah what do you do to start
1: that ball rolling well so I work within a framework that I developed it's called the aligned values framework and there's six steps to it and when we do the core values work it's in the third step which is root and you know the first parts of root are all about you like The roots of you and your role and what you're feeding into it, how you do it, all of those things. But there's a huge section in Root that is centered around core values. And on its face, it's actually really basic. I will present people with a list of words that could be identified as values. Most people, they come in with some sort of an idea of what they think they value. And then, you know, they see this list and they're like, whoa, this might shift things, or they'll see things that are, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, way more values than I thought. So I'll work with them on narrowing them down based on the economy of the words. So that's probably the most beneficial because they're they're getting really rooted, right? <laughs> where mm-hmm. if someone initially comes up with a list of 10, 15, or 20 words where they're like, these all feel like values to me, we'll group them based on relatability. So what which words feel like they are similar to each other and put them in groups and then consider the economy of those words and how you want to speak about why it's important to you and I'll let I'll let them know you know you don't have to throw out the other words but we need to narrow it down I always tell them 3 to 5 narrow it down and then whatever's left over can be used as sub values and those can still find their way into messaging. And in that exercise, I I literally see the light bulbs go off in people's minds where they'll be like, oh, you, you talk about storytelling, right? Pete, right. Well, I'm like, okay, well, why is this important to you? And that's when they start telling me stories where they're like, yes.
0: oh, well, this thing happened and there was this, ex- my mother raised me like this. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: And so from that, it's like, okay, well, this is clearly like it's a part of a core of who you are and what you believe and how you want to be in the world. And from there, it goes into, all right, well, let's go beyond why it's important to you. Let's also consider what it means to you beyond just the Merriam-Webster or Oxford dictionary definition. Like those definitions are important and we can't just change the meaning of words, but how would you define it? And people have a lot of fun with that because a lot of times people will be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not really great with words. I'm not really great with messaging. And we'll be in a session and they'll just tell me what it means to them. And I'm like, okay, go back and watch this recording. That's your messaging. <laughs>
0: Seriously, thank goodness we recorded it,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, I'll have them kind of pull out more of, all right, well, you know why it's important to you. You've defined it for yourself. Now, how can you communicate how you having that value or that set of values is a benefit to anyone that engages with you? Because then it forces people to hold themselves accountable of like, well, this is my value. And this is why it's a benefit to other people.
0: I have to be in that way. Right. It brings you right back around to this whole idea of being self-aware in how your actions are in alignment and you use the word alignment early on that if, if they're not in alignment, mm. then they're going to be discouraged and dissatisfied with their relationships and probably unhappy generally because they're not comfortable in their skin yeah and and even that piece like that comment
1: alone being uncomfortable in your skin so many people come to work with me because they want to make sure they're being inclusive and they're creating that sense of belonging i can easily say nine times out of ten most people don't even fully know what they need for themselves to feel a sense of belonging like within themselves and for themselves so all of that work around the core values is a part of that because then they're, again, holding themselves accountable, but they're learning how to communicate through their core values, what their commitments to inclusion and belonging are as well. And it starts from within.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think one of my favorite examples of not being in alignment with the words that you say you value is when I, I did an exercise at a, as a keynote About 300 people in the room, and I said, "What's a word that you want people to use to describe you?" And somebody said, "Considerate." And I said, "That is such an awesome word. What does? How does that show up? What? How does that show up in your actions?" And she said, "When I'm walking into the grocery store and somebody's behind me, I hold the door for them." Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And I said, "But what if you're all alone with your dog and your dog?" poops on the boulevard or on on the sidewalk by your neighbor's house, but nobody sees it. You don't pick it up. Are you still considerate? And everybody started laughing. I said, that's right. If you want to be known as considerate, you got to pick that shit up. (laughs) That's not really true.
1: (laughs) I used that word in front of That You're just reminding me there's a there's a park in my neighborhood that I'll walk to sometimes in the middle of the day to take a little break. And there's this big, beautiful tree that I like to sit in front of and take my shoes off and stand there barefoot and just ground myself. I went there the other day, and somebody's dog had pooped in front of the favorite tree that I like to ground myself oh. off, and I was like, how
0: inconsiderate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the right word. There, It's this, to me, the opposite is the most important description of inconsiderate. I mean, of, of considerate. You want to describe what's inconsiderate, and it's not paying attention to how your behavior and actions impact the world around you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are three things that I always encourage people to do, not even just in my work, but in general. It's like, all right, pause. Just pause. Put <laughs> <What's> that alone. <laughs> Start there. And in that pause, that should give you the space to tune into your awareness. So when you're tuning into your awareness, what are you aware of around you that's happening? What are you aware of that's happening within you and how you are, you know, being impacted or activated in any way or excited, whatever that looks like. And then that third piece is compassion. So whatever comes next after that pause and after you tune into your awareness, whatever comes out after that needs to be done with compassion even if it's just for yourself if you are having a rough day and you're being really hard on yourself Mm -hmm. pause tune into your awareness and just like give yourself compassion
0: and do the same thing for other people absolutely I've been saying this for years I heard from one of my podcast guests years ago she said that she was in a a course on bias and, and discrimination I think I I can't remember exactly, but what she said was, her professor said, you are not responsible for the first thought that pops into your head. You're not. It is ingrained. It's from your environment. It's from growing up where you grew up and hearing what you heard. It's ingrained. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for every single thought after that. Mm -hmm. So tell me about a time where you specifically were able to practice that? Because I know as somebody who preaches this, I have had to, I actually have the word practice posted on my wall in front of my desk. But tell me about a time where you got to practice this and it made a difference for you.
1: Mm, I love this question. Let me see if I can dig in my brain and where I've been responsible for every thought after and practicing that.
0: I can give you an example if that would help.
1: Yeah, because it's a really good question. I'm
0: sure that I have been in this situation and in my line of work. Mm-hmm. I have a couple. One was recently with a client and something he said, I I felt my hackles go up mm-hmm. and couldn't immediately understand why. But in that moment, I knew I was aware that my hackles were going up. I was aware of my blood pressure kind of roiling and Mm -hmm. i literally said can you give me just a second i will be right back and i took out my earbuds and i walked out of the room and i drank a glass of water and i still didn't know why my hackles went up but i was calm so i came back and started asking questions Mm -hmm. this is and and the question the first question was i noticed something in myself that i was getting a little uncomfortable with what you said. And I'd like to ask you what you meant by that because I'm I'm not sure I understood you. I did understand him. <laughs> so let's just put that. I'm pretty intuitive. I did understand what he meant by that. But by asking him, he had to rethink how he said what he said. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it turned everything around for both of us. It brought us closer. It was one of those conversations where I walked away from that client going, Oh, thank goodness! I've been practicing this because five years ago I would not have reacted that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, an answer to your question: This is, and this is actually not even related to a client. It was, it was a personal interaction where someone had. This is very recent. Someone had showed me something that I found to be offensive, <laughs> and instantly was like. Hmm, I don't really I don't really like that <laughs> it doesn't land well and I the response that I received was do you understand because it was it was about comedy and it was like do you understand why comedy exists and and the way that it came across felt very condescending and instantly I was like oh I felt that
0: oh, it doesn't oh, feel good that's not right I've been here before. <laughs>
1: And, and I paused, I took a breath because a younger, a younger, less thoughtful version of me would have just responded knee jerk and in a very not kind way, but I, I paused and I was like, mm, I, I feel like that was a little bit condescending. Can I just ask why, you know, like why you would ask that question that way? So I, I met it with a question on the same way that you did and in calling that and just kind of taking that moment in the conversation, they were like, oh, I didn't even realize that it came out as condescending. I am so sorry. And subsequently, we were able to have a conversation. And then even after that interaction, there was another follow-up conversation where one of the things that they had said to me was, you know, I feel like you tend to reject a lot of things that I say because I'm just a straight white guy. And I was like, is that true? And it took me a moment because doing the work I do, it's very easy to have biases, especially for for straight white men, unfortunately, but I really thought about it. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I know that that is not true and here's why. So it's one of those things that it's really easy for me to practice when I'm on and with clients it's the interpersonal interactions that I actually honestly find more challenging because, you know, they're, they're personal relationships. They're, you know, they're just different. And one of the things that my therapist even pointed out to me, bless her, was uh, <laughs> it's one thing when we do something professionally, you know, we're always on, we're in that part of our brain. But when we are in our everyday lives, where scenarios come up where we actually do have to practice those things it can be a lot harder because we're in the moment where we're not in like professional mode we're just in basic human mode and it's really easy for us you had said we're harder on our loved ones right (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) it's really easy to just expect the people that you're in in interpersonal relationships with to just quote unquote know better
0: (laughs) right right exactly I mean, how many times? I can't even count how many times I've messed up in a conversation with one of my young adult sons. They're Mm -hmm. twenty-one and twenty-four, and I'll walk away from the conversation, or I'll send a text and go, "That is not what I meant to say." I know that that was going to come across wrong, and I'll just pick up the phone and be like, "Mom, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant in that text." And I want, I want to confirm that my tone was. Wrong. It was all wrong in that text, and I—I I just the other day I said something to my mom. I'm like, "Mom, I'm a communication coach. For goodness' sake, I should have done that better." And she's like, "She said what you said. Well, you know, with our loved ones, we're not quite as good at that." Yeah, it can be really hard to pick
1: because we just we kind of go into autopilot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I do that too though. I'll catch myself in text messages and interactions with friends. My friends actually, and I tell this, I I tell them this periodically. They hands down make me a better human. Like they make they just make me a better person because I pay attention to the way that my friends communicate in our group chat. And it reminds me of like, oh yeah, like this is (laughs) this is
0: compassion. This is like love in action. Exactly and it makes you wonder why we don't do that for ourselves you know? mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. one of
1: the things that I like to i I do it for myself and I always in share it as an invitation for clients to consider as well is doing mirror work and talking to you know our reflection the way that we would talk to a friend
0: mhm yeah i've I've heard of that I haven't done it <laughs> I don't know why. I, I guess, you know, I see myself as being a very practical person and some activities don't fit what I consider practical. And yet I would recommend it to somebody else. So again, <laughs> back to the beginning, I would love to hear a specific time in your life, like an a experience, a story about what was a trigger to make you do what you do now. What was your aha? I don't believe in light bulb moments. Let's just clarify that. I believe everything is on a dimmer switch. There's nothing we are completely unaware of because our subconscious brains are picking things up all the time. But there are moments that definitely demonstrate a light bulb moment within the the context of a dimmer switch.
1: The light bulb moments for me in doing the work that I do now. Ooh. This might be an emotional answer. <laughs> well, uh, if you're if you're uncomfortable with it, we can. Move I'm not on. uncomfortable with it. It's it's just it's it's a very raw truth. I so I I have to preface this with just a tiny bit of backstory. I have not always been a a consultant who focuses on inclusion and belonging and messaging in the way that I do. I originally started my business as a photographer, and I was completely drained in corporate. I wanted to be creative. So I started this photography business and dove headfirst into the wedding industry. And anyone who... (laughs) Sorry, did I say that out loud? It's okay. I have feelings about it too. (laughs) But I, I became a wedding photographer first. And one of the first things that I noticed was how the mainstream wedding industry at the time, because this was, you know, 2016, there wasn't a lot of diversity and representation in publications on websites and i noticed it there were it was it was predominantly very you know model-esque looking thin white heterosexual couples that were often shown on wedding publications and websites and blogs there were a few that i found that were a lot more inclusive and they were kind of the there was like offbeat bride and catalyst wedding co back then and i was really vocal about how wrong that was And so I built this very inclusive wedding photography business where people felt comfortable and welcome. And then other vendors had started asking me, how can I do this? Which was kind of the catalyst for me starting to teach other leaders and business owners how to be inclusive in their business and their leadership styles. But the core, like the depths of the work that I do and the way in which I work with people I would say, came from, it, it It was shortly following the murder of George Floyd. Which had shook me because we had already, you know, Ahmaud Arbor, Arbery, I do get shaken up talking about this. So there's still a lot of feelings around it, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor that year. And I remember having a conversation, a very brief conversation with a family member, my mom, ma- my mom. And there were some things that she had said to me that were really hurtful. They came from a place of anger and frustration for sure. And I realized in that moment that my mom wasn't a person at the time. Things have definitely evolved and changed in our relationship is spectacular now. But at the time I realized she wasn't a person that could give me the support that I needed with all of the emotional turmoil that I was feeling as a result of my experience in the world and how I was really coping with seeing so much trauma and murder of people in the black community because my my mom is a white woman. And so it was that year that I also learned that she had never really realized that I would have a different experience in the world because of how i present and i had started subconsciously writing a lot of my content to my mom i didn't realize that that's what i was doing while i was writing it oh. but ooh, i'm having all kinds of feelings sharing this and she knows this which is why i'm okay to share it but i i had all this content it was just coming out like fire and It was resonating with a lot of people and it wasn't until probably about a year into writing my content that i just had this epiphany in a conversation with my therapist where i was like holy shit i have been writing my content to my mom because i want her to see me and hear me and understand me and realizing that so much of my life i hadn't felt seen heard and understood in one of the most important relationships in my life and i was sharing that with people in a way i was reframing it i was not i wasn't calling anything out i wasn't sharing specific stories or examples because i knew it wouldn't be productive but i was sharing it in a way of like how can this be a lesson for people Mm -hmm. and that was that was really the catalyst for me and once i became aware of what I was doing I did immediately have a conversation with my mom and shared it with her and she even went through my program which I really appreciated wow yeah it was really cool and and it just it became this thing so we that helped us heal our relationship and it also made me more mindful and conscious of how I was creating content and where I was creating it from. And if, if, if people were to scroll my social media feed and the content from 2020 until now, you'll see a gradual softening of language. Mm. And so I bring that into my clients now. I have to say,
0: Crystal, I... I think your mother was the perfect target audience for what you were writing. I mean, the, the reality is that we write to what we know. Mm-hmm. We write about what we know. And while I appreciate that you softened the content, because we both know that for your audience to hear you, sometimes you have to soften language. And then eventually, maybe you can get back to being more direct. Mm -hmm. But in order to translate, it has to start in a place where they'll hear you. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I still put out punchy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've seen some of it. It's great stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But it's definitely one of those things because I used to, going back to what I was sharing earlier about that, that pause, awareness and compassion, I used to just like write shit and throw it out in the world. <laughs> yes.
0: And no. we're not alone then
1: that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us and, I, and I still do it sometimes, but now more often than not, especially if if when I write something and I look at it and I'm like, I'm gonna let that sit. <laughs> yes. I'm <laughs> gonna <laughs> let it sit. 24 hour rule. Yes. 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 I, I do. I have a 24 to 48 hour rule. Oh,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, I just keep coming back to the fact that If we put out a message that immediately puts a lot of people on the defensive, we're not going to solve any of our problems. And even though sometimes we have to be direct, I just keep thinking that I can be direct, but still speaking from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it's not, I'm not being direct and insulting people. I'm being direct and saying, hey, what you said, that was racist and i'm not okay with that mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah i i really appreciate that framing of like being direct and not insulting people it's kind of like rather rather than coming from a place of insulting them you're like you're
0: racist you're a bigot it's like right. hmm.
1: why did you say that i would invite you to consider where that is coming from
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my sister is magic at this she heard somebody say something that was definitely overtly racist and she said I don't understand. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And it was a reference to those people. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Like, "What do you mean, those people? What does that mean?" <laughs> and then he had to like rethink exactly what he said. And I think that's beautiful. And it wasn't condescending. And it wasn't picking at him. It was just curious. I'm really, I'm curious. What do you mean, those people? What yeah. does that mean? Yeah. Curiosity is so
1: important in this work too.
0: <sighs> Absolutely.
1: I mean, so it's really yeah, so in all work,
0: <laughs> it. It knows it's all uh, well, it comes right back to the beginning of our conversation, which was being self-reflective so that you can be in alignment with your values mm-hmm. so that the words you use, the actions you take are actually in alignment with what you care about. And I, I think that that's the biggest work that you and I do is that in encouraging that kind of self-reflection, the healthy kind, not the internal dialogue that is all damaging language, mm-hmm. but the healthy kind that makes you realize, oh, wait a minute, when I don't pick up my dog's poop, <laughs> even if nobody sees me, it's not a considerate thing to do. And then I can call myself considerate, but unless my actions are in alignment with that, my my body and my brain aren't going to be okay with that.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: there's going to be some dissatisfaction, even if we don't know where it's coming from.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's so important too, that people know what modalities work best for them for self-reflection and and self-connection. So like, I talk about mirror work. I also love journaling. You say mirror work doesn't work for you and that's okay. But what does, you know, is it journaling? Is it meditation? Is it you know, listening to music really loud and singing to yourself and, you know, getting in your head, whatever modality works to help you get into that reflection
0: state, do it and do it often. Agreed. And exactly. I was going to say that, you know what, our values work has to be redone regularly. We have to reassess because I know if I was telling you at 20 what my values were, what words resonated with me, they'd be really different from what they were at 30. And then all over again at 50 something, like there's no way, even though my love for people hasn't changed and my choices of, of compassion haven't changed, how I present those things and knowing myself has definitely shifted all of that.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I always, always tell clients, when we choose your values and we go through this, it will evolve. They're not concrete. And by evolve, I don't mean change drastically in a year, but like maybe the value of freedom evolves to autonomy. Or maybe self-care evolves to well-being. Like, just examine that. So I'll always tell people check in periodically throughout the year, but really sit down
0: and reevaluate at least once a year. Agreed. That's awesome. I, I keep coming back to this moment with your therapist and that aha moment about your mom. Uh. Because I, I think it's really important to understand that origin story of of where things came from. And by origin story, I'm talking about a specific series of incidents with your mom had you feeling like you weren't being seen and heard because she couldn't possibly understand that your experience in the world would be so different from hers. She just couldn't. That's not something she could have wrapped her head around. And I can tell you as a mother that it's hard to see that. It's easier for me because I have boys. But if I had a daughter it would be harder for me to see that she experiences the world in a different way than I do. Mm -hmm. Because they're kind of an extension of you Mm -hmm. from the time they're an infant until they get to be teenagers. So I keep coming back to that, knowing that there are a series of stories in you where something felt disconnect with you and your mom. And then that moment in your therapist's office saying, I've been talking to my mom all this time. Without talking to my mom, <laughs> it's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, it's like huge because then you have an opportunity to tell your mom the story of how mm-hmm. you came to that place without blame. Yeah, you tell her from a point of observation. Yeah, and reflection.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've had quite a few of those moments with my mom over the last few years because she's been doing a lot of her own internal work as well and i'm just i I love her so much and i'm so freaking proud of her she's just Mm -hmm. easily one of the bravest women that i know and even that like that statement is something that i have come into in the last couple of weeks since publishing my book so i was i i dedicated my book to my mom just because i you know I'm really proud of her for the healing work she's done. I'm proud of us for the the work that we've done and continue to do on our relationship. And then I thought about it and I was like, wow, my mom is actually really freaking brave because she's done some stuff, you know, in, in ways that at the time I can now recognize like she was doing the best that she could. Mm-hmm. And you know she she had a biracial baby as a single teenage mom in the 1980s like as as a white woman like that was still so taboo and like i i told her this about a week ago i'm like i just i just want to acknowledge that i've never because i spent a lot of time being frustrated and angry with her for a lot of things and then i had that moment of like wait a minute that also had to have been hard for her like you're and i told her i was like you're really brave for you know going forward and you know being in the world with me like thank you and i love you and i appreciate you so yeah there's wow. definitely a lot of stories with in relation to my mom for sure wow. how
0: yeah i mean there are no books to that tell us what to do as a mom. And for her, it was even worse. Like e- any standard, I, I don't say normal, but any, you know, more common relationships, the mothers and children, you already have all these questions and all these self doubts. Mm-hmm. And then you add the consequences of what your mother was going through. At I have to say, I'm, I'm extremely frustrated that I haven't seen a lot of changes since then. I mean the eighties were hard but I can't I can't imagine that it is a whole lot easier for a single mother or father of a biracial kid now. And I say that because I'm reading a book by Mike Coleman from From Me to Us, I think is what it's called. And it's coming out in July. A- outstanding book. But it's about him coming out in the seventies as gay in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be, you know, intense. And I have to tell you, a lot of his stories are still happening now. Yeah. Well, and I oh, thought my way's, my ways not more. Mike, we're going backwards. Going backwards. It's so frustrating. It is. But let's end this not on that <laughs> note, even though I'm going to highly recommend Mike's book as well. I would love to hear first of all, where do people get in touch with you? how do we follow you on your content of choice? Mm-hmm. And and tell me a little bit about your book before we wrap up. And listeners, just so you know, all of these links will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at ElkinsConsulting.com.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. So the best way to connect with me is through my website. All of the links are there. It is crystallily.co and that's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-L-I-L-Y.co. There's links to the book website. There's links. I've got some free guides if you want to get into that core values work and all of the social media links as well. And then regarding the book, the book is called Brave Leadership is a Choice, an Inclusive Guide to Creating Belonging. And it is It is for leaders, and I say leaders broadly, even if you're not in a leadership, quote unquote, position, we are all leaders in some way, shape or form. So it is to help people get rooted in their core values and really create a sense of belonging from within so that they can cultivate more inclusive spaces, disrupt and identify bias, make sure that they are operating in alignment with the things that they say they value. And there's also a
0: list of additional resources in the book. Excellent. I ordered mine, but it's late coming. (laughs) I can't wait to get it. (laughs) Listeners, I highly encourage you to check out CrystalLily.co and learn more about Crystal, because this is a woman that is going to make waves in all the best possible ways. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you. Listeners, now it's your turn. Where will you disrupt bias in your life? How can you do this work to understand what your values are and making sure you're in alignment with them with all of your actions and behaviors? Because as we've talked about already throughout this podcast episode, if you are not acting within the values that you profess to have, then you're not going to be satisfied in your relationships and you're gonna find yourself not knowing why you're dissatisfied and unhappy in your life. So go for it, figure this out. Jot down some words to describe how you want to be known and start to make sure that whatever actions you're taking, the words you're using are actually going to demonstrate those words. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.